May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. When I was about 12 years old, uh, my friends and I would, um, we would engage in this dangerous enterprise that we would never tell our mothers. And should my mother arrive sometime here in the near future just to say hello and see her, her, uh, you know, her son and grandchildren, you better not tell her either because still she doesn't know. And my mother thinks that she can still discipline me, you know. So, um, you know, this is, this, is like a, this is a strict secret, okay? Um, we, would, uh, we would get these big tractor tire inner tubes. Have you ever seen these things? They're really big, about the size of a tractor tire. And we'd fill them up with air, and we would go down and um, jump in Mad River, which is near where we lived in Dayton. And we would ride down the river on a tractor tube for about two or three miles, and then we'd get off and kind of hike back home. Um, it was a great summertime activity. Uh, I would do it a lot. And, um, and, and so my friends and I, I remember this one particular day, uh, Steve and Leslie and Heather and my brother Jeff and his friend Ronnie, and we all um, we did what we did. We, we took our inner tubes over to the gas station, uh, told our, our mother that we were, you know, whatever we're going to do, and we go over there, and um, by the way, my boys, don't take notes on this, okay, uh, and, uh, and we would fill up the tubes, and then we walked down to the launch site, and we would we'd get in the water. It was a very hot July day, I remember, and, um, and we had more people than we had tubes on this particular day, so my friend Steve and I said, well, we'll share one, we'll get on this, and You've been on the lazy river ride, you know. This was kind of our, our thinking about what the day would be like, and it was often like this in July. Really hot, wouldn't rain, the river would go low. It was kind of a little, you know, cruise down the river. And, um, and, and this, was in the, this was in the early 80s, okay, just as a little, a little caveat here. Okay, it was in the early 80s, and, um, and people weren't nearly as secure as they probably should have been, and, and we all kind of grew up in the same sort of environment. We were sort of, um, you know, uh, poor kind of uh, uh, single-parent family homes. Um, we, were, we were much more streetwise than we needed to be at that sort of age and did things that we certainly should have done. We were not afraid of risk, which explains why we never wore life jackets when we would go down to ride this tube down the river. It was stupid. It was absolutely ridiculous, and, um, and yet we did it. Um, and, and so my friend Steve and I, on a tube together, floating down the river, everybody else is on their own tube, so they're going faster than we are. You know, they're kind of cutting through the river, and we didn't care. We're splashing water on each other, talking about the things that boys talk about, and they're 12-year-old, you know, and, and we're having a great time. Well, we kind of lost sight of the, our crew. They got up way ahead of us, and, and so we didn't think about it. But come around a bend, and there they all were. They all were on this, like, little rocky beach. They had stopped and were sitting on logs and talking and, you know, doing whatever they were doing. And, and we decided at first, let's pull over. And then the idea occurred to us, no, let's just sneak right on by. We'll turn this thing into a race, you know. And so we kind of got way down low into the tube and hushed one another, you know how you do, and... And all of a sudden, it would have been a perfect thing, except we hit this spot of really fast current that we didn't see coming. And all of a sudden, the, the, the little tube that we were on took off, heading right to this tree that had been downed and it was in the river. We start barking out orders to one another, paddle left, no paddle right, you know, go, stop, you know, we're, uh, everything that we can do to stop it. And it hits the tree, capsizes the tube, both of us go into the water. And here's where things got really interesting. 
because this current was really swift and I was really small, it pulled me underneath the water. I mean, quickly. And now I'm thinking to myself, oh my word, I'm going to be on the evening news, but I'm not going to get to see it. Everybody else is going to, you know. And, and so I'm really worried. And I, I, I can even see to this day in my mind's eye, I can see the water above me. And I can see the light coming down through it and the tree that was right above there. And so I reach up and I grab this branch that broke. And then I really panicked. Because now I could feel the water pulling me down, you know, as it does. So they have what's called an undercurrent in rivers. And it's pulling me down, and I'm, re- I'm really panicking. And, and I, I don't even remember seeing. I just reached up, and I grabbed another branch, and this one held. And I was able to pull my little 70-pound body up out of the water and, um, and then climb on out. As soon as I hit the water, though, you know what? I completely forgot about Steve. I, I mean, he was completely out of my mind. And, and for, you know, what must have been just seconds, but what seemed like an eternity, I had lost complete thought of him. I had one thought in my mind, and that was that I had to survive. I had to get out of this water. As soon as I got out of the water, I looked around and to see if Steve had made it, and sure enough, he did, and he was laughing at me. But my brother, who was on the beach saw this whole thing taking place. And he couldn't imagine, I guess, going home and tell mother that he let his little brother drown. And so he was running into the river. Here he came, running into it. But, you know, I had pulled myself up, and I was saying to him, stop, I'm fine, get away from me. You know, don't, I don't want him drowning me. You know, I'm fine, I'm, I'm okay. I saved myself. I didn't need his help although I was glad that he came running. The story of Ruth is a story of tragedy of sorts as well. Whereas my story is about being overwhelmed by a literal river, I think Ruth and her mother-in-law Naomi and her sister-in-law, I think they understood what a metaphoric river of woe was like. To feel like you're drowning in problems, to be overwhelmed. All three women lost their husbands. All three women were in this situation in the ancient Near Eastern world that was completely inhospitable to widows. Naomi was in a particularly difficult situation because as an older woman past childbearing age, she had no hope of being remarried. Now, I should say that sort of in this world, and I think I mentioned this to you last week if you were here, that in the ancient world in Israel, that people didn't just marry for companionship. They didn't marry for, um, for love. Uh, they, they married to produce a family. And so here Naomi has this situation, this woman, uh, the, this mother-in-law of Ruth, that she has no hope of finding a husband. And if you're in that situation and in that cultural world where women are not allowed to work, there's no place to have gainful employment, You have no chance of having a husband. Your only opportunity for support is to go move in with your children. And in Naomi's case, both of her children are dead. She is destitute. She faces the world with these huge societal limitations on women, this uncertainty about her future. She has no savings account. She has no insurance. There's no no typical safety net that you would think of for her. She is in a terrible terrible situation. And she knows this. And I think for Naomi that she, she recognizes that and she tells her, her daughters-in-law, go, save yourselves. But Ruth doesn't. See, Ruth is, a, she's a hero. Ruth is, a, she's like, you know, my brother who goes running into the river. 
Not thinking about saving himself. Going in there to save someone else. Ruth is like the firemen that run into a burning building. You know, we see burning buildings, we run away. You know, there are people who actually, they want to. They want to run in and save people. But Ruth, having made her decision, she's going to go in. She's going to run in. She's going to save. She's going to jump into the river. She's going to, you know, save her mother-in-law. She does have to face a real serious question. What next? Okay, you ran into the building. Okay, you jumped into the river. But what next? What are you going to do once you get there? And for her case, that meant leaving her home and traveling up to Israel. What are you going to do when you arrive? Now, there was a small, a very small safety net that was built into the society of ancient Israel through the law. Ancient Israel was guided by a law. It's encoded for you in the Bible. The Bible was Israel's law. This is how we live. This is the code by which we live. The, The idea that we have of separation of church and state did not exist in the ancient world. It was always a, a, a church or a, a state that was governed by a theological principles, and in Israel's case, the Bible. Let me read to you a law from the book of Leviticus, chapter 19. This is a law for harvesting. This is a law that was to govern the way that people harvested their land. And in particular, had ramifications for how the poor were to be cared for. So now when you reap your harvest, that is farmers, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap to the very corners of your field. Neither shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest. That is, when things kind of fell off, you know, the, the, the fruits fell from the vine or, or grain fell to the ground. You weren't allowed to pick those up. You weren't allowed to chop down the grain all the way around the harvest. Instead, you shall not glean your vineyard, now, neither shall you gather the fallen fruit from your vineyard. You shall leave them... For the needy and for the stranger, that is the alien, I am the Lord your God. The law in Leviticus, chapter 19, verses 9-10, is a safety net for the poor in the ancient world. How were the poor to be cared for? Well, a farmer had a field. Imagine, you, imagine you're looking at this field from a bird's eye perspective. Imagine it's a square field. Farmer gets ready to harvest his land. He planted the crops. But God says, no, you can't have it all. Here's what you can do. You tell your workers to go into the field, leave a margin all the way around the edge. They're allowed to go in and then start harvesting from the inside out. Take it out in sheaves, you know, bind them up in in these big sheaves and put them off to the side. That's yours. Whatever's left, the margin around, whatever falls to the ground on your way out, that belongs to the poor. That belongs to the aliens that travel through your country. You allow them to go in, and they have to do it by themselves. They have to go in, they have to gather up whatever they can gather up, keep what they can eat. They're not allowed to store it in bars, just go get what you can get. And that's the way you take care of them. Now listen to the Old Testament lesson. Ruth chapter 2, verse 2. If you have your bulletin, you can turn right there. Ruth chapter 2, verse 2. Ruth, remember she has traveled with her mother-in-law Naomi from Moab, way in the south, up north into the country of Israel, um, near Jerusalem, and, and Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And, Na- and Naomi says to her, go my daughter. Did you get that? Ruth said, let me go. 
Ruth is taking responsibility, not just for herself, but for Naomi. Naomi, you stay here. I'm going to go. I'm going to glean. I'm going to do what Leviticus 19 said poor people are allowed to do. I'm going to go and I'm going to, um, I'm getting in the, the ancient soup kitchen food line. Okay, and I'm going to go do it for you and for me. Now, this is a dangerous enterprise that Ruth is getting into. During the time of the judges, when Ruth lives, it was the wild, wild west. Go to read um, Judges chapter 19 one time. Okay, you read through any book, part of the book of Judges, you'll find all kinds of crazy stuff. Read chapter 19, where a young woman is beaten and raped and left for dead. And her husband goes out and finds her the next day. And do you know what he does? He takes her and dismembers her body and FedExes the parts of her body. He didn't actually FedEx it. That was just a little joke. He sends it all over the country. He cuts her up into 12 pieces and mails them to the 12 tribes of Israel. I mean, this is a crazy, horrid, dangerous world. And Ruth says to Naomi, let me go out. She goes into this world by herself. Here's her plan. Here's Ruth's plan. I'm going to go out and I'm going to harvest. I'm going to go to the, you know, do what the poor people do. I'm going to go see if I can find us some grain. I'm going to leave you here. And I'm going to hope I find somebody who's nice. That's her plan. I'm going to go into the wild, wild west and hope that I find a nice guy who lets me harvest from his field and doesn't kill me. That's what she's going to do. Look back at your, ver- at your scripture lesson, verse 3. So she set out, that is Ruth, and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. You remember that name, Elimelech, don't you? I mean, that's Naomi's deceased husband. Ruth's plan, I'm going to go out and get us some food. She happened to wander into the field of Boaz. Notice that. Look at that real close. I wish you had a pencil. You would underline this. And she happened. She set out and went to the gleaned in the field after the reapers. Look at this. If you had a pencil, you would underline this. And she happened to come. She happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. She happened to come to this field. Just by chance, she wandered there. She kind of made her. It was an accident. A happy one altogether. Ruth was lucky? Do you think that's what the writer is saying to you? That Ruth was lucky. She happened. She, she just wandered into this field, just happened to belong to a member of the family. I don't think that's what he's saying at all, do you? I think he's saying there is an unseen hand that is guiding Ruth's life. It's an unseen hand that's putting protection around her. That she's not being... Uh, brutalized by this society. She, she's protected. She's safe. She goes out into the world and she is directed into the right field. I don't like it when people say to me, when they see some sort of tragedy and they say, you know, this is, this is God, this is what God must have wanted. He did this. He, he, he must have wanted this person, you know. You remember Princess Diana? I remember hearing somebody say, a news reporter say, God must have wanted another angel. Oh, that's so ridiculous. That's so repulsive. No, no. I don't believe that at all. And yet, what I do believe is that God works miracles of providence into these lives that we live that are affected by evil all around us. That God does provide for us 
even though He doesn't spare us from the difficulties that we live in in this, this world. That in times of trouble, God provides exactly what we need and exactly the right time. I don't know why God doesn't spare us evil. I don't know why we have to go through pain. I know we do. I believe the Lord is powerful enough to stop it if He wanted to, but for some reason, He doesn't. But He does provide. That's what providence means. Providence means that God provides for His people. You know, when I was 17, just five years after my, um, my little uh, trip down Mad River that almost ended in disaster, I applied for a job at a grocery store on the north side of town. The, the grocery company hired me, but they decided not to put me at the north side store. They instead decided to put me at the west side store. And while I was working at the west side store, I met the most beautiful young woman I'd ever seen in my life. And she just happened to think that I was okay. And she just happened to agree to go on a date with me. And she just happened to fall in love with me. And I paid her a lot of money to do that. And, um, and, and we just happened to get married. And that, that decision, not to go to the West Side store, but send me to the, to the or to, not to go to the North Side store, send me to the West Side store, changed my life. When I was 39 years old, Doc Loomis called me up and said, Joe, would you do me a favor? Um, would you go for just three weeks, I promise, just three weeks? <laughs> December 2008. <laughs> just three, will you go preach at this church in Hudson? I promise. Just three weeks. I mean, just happened to, ha- to say that. What changed has wrought in my life because he just happened to pick up the phone. You can look back over your lives. You know you can. You remember those times where, oh goodness, something horrible happened and then, and then a day later you, you met somebody that, that changed it. Or, or something great happened and you thought, man, if I hadn't turned down that street, if I hadn't gone into that store, if I hadn't picked up that telephone... I heard somebody dialed the wrong number the other day and, and, and met this person that fell in love and got married. That's the craziest story I've ever heard. If I hadn't gotten on that plane or gotten on that bus or, or, or been part of that, that um, you know, selected for that, that dormitory and had that roommate. If only I hadn't had that roommate. You've had both good and bad. Right? There are things that have happened in your life that God has provided at just the right moment in time. No, He doesn't spare us from everything. He doesn't spare us from pain. There are awful events that happen. And for some reason, He doesn't. But He never leaves us alone. He never leaves us to face anything alone. That He always provides, even when we have to walk through dark days. Ruth just happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. But it wasn't luck. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't happenstance. John Lennon famously said, um, life is what happens while you're making other plans. It's probably true. But I think providence is God working His plan into our unplanned lives. God works His plan into our unplanned lives. And this is something you can bank on. This is the story of the Gospel. This widow goes in, has her last penny. She places it in the... And Jesus says, you know... This is a great act. This is an act of great generosity. 
But it's an act of great trust, isn't it? This widow believes that she can put her whole life in God's hands and He'll take care of her. She believes that. She trusts in His providence. And so also should we. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.